0: Hello and welcome. My name's Dr Joanna Bucknall and you're listening to episode 23 of Tate. that's T-A-I-T, which is short for Talking About Immersive Theatre. This series is all about immersive theatre practices. I track down all kinds of immersive folk to discuss the work that they do in bringing experiences to you. So, enough explaining and I will let you get at the episode. I'm here at the University of Birmingham Selly Oak Visual Arts Centre with Katie Day. Artistic Director of The Other Way Works. Uh, Hi Katie, (laughs) Uh, thank you so much for joining me here at a busy time for you. Um, Firstly, can you tell us a little bit about your background and your training and how you came to kind of be involved in theatre? You studied here actually didn't you at the University of Birmingham?
1: (laughs) Yes, Uh, this is what brought me to Birmingham and I um, did my undergraduate degree in Drama and Theatre Arts at the University of Birmingham, not this campus but um, uh yeah, that's that's where I started, although that was um I think quite a different degree to what it is now. It was mm-hmm. quite traditional in a lot of ways. There certainly oh, okay. was not A lot of contemporary work studied. Um, mm. yeah, and so um out of that we uh, a group of friends and I kind of formed a a kind of female led company who wanted to devise collaboratively, devise their own work, Mm -hmm. almost as a a backlash to be honest, (laughs) to the heavily (laughs) historical and text-based work that we'd studied. That's very interesting actually
0: because lots of my colleagues Mm who either studied here or have been teaching here for a long time said actually the course hasn't changed a great deal for 30 years, which I think is, I think maybe that's the core elements because, Mm -hmm. because Russell Group is so led by staff's research interests, I think actually it does depend who's who's here and what they're doing. I mean, I certainly know that since I've been here since September, I've only really taught contemporary sort of practices and contemporary approaches Mm. to performance. But, um, yeah, that was not not a thing when I was here. No.
1: It was, um, I think that the core, as far as I understand, the core parts of the degree in terms of, like, practice, practical work, being there to reinforce the theoretical work I mm-hmm. think that, and doing kind of productions, I think that's all still yeah. very much what we did. but um, Yeah, and that's still very much. I think we call. Cool. Yeah, we uh, just the, the specialisms at that time were Noel Coward and. Um, sort of, <laughs> uh, yeah, <they're laughs> Shakespeare. Was Shakespeare still a big? A kind bit of big not, not so big actually. But ah, okay. Um, yeah, so it was, but it wasn't any contemporary work. Mm-hmm. um it was more like sort of post-war was about contemporaries, it got really. Ah, okay.
0: Um, yeah. So when you came, did you want to kind of go on and work in the theatre? Did you know that was something that you wanted to do? <laughs> I don't
1: <was>, know. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess I just sort of, I, I really liked visual arts, mm-hmm. and I like doing visual art, um, but I also really liked drama. Uh, I was maybe slightly better at visual arts, but I um I didn't I, I'm a quite so I'm basically I'm a social person mm-hmm. and I I kind of feed off other people and being with other people. Yeah. And so uh, I think back 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 in those days, um, visual art was a, a slightly more solitary pursuit. I think these yeah, days it can yeah. be different. But um I didn't really like the idea of working on my own In, the studio in a studio. Yeah, yeah. So I thought That drama would be more fun.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's very interesting, actually, because loads of people that I talk to that are engaged in kind of this type of performance making actually have that visual art or have architecture or or another kind of sort of artistic discipline, actually, Mm -hmm. that seems to inform what they do. And it's fairly common as well, isn't it, since the 1960s. I think a lot yeah. of people involved in contemporary performance and experimental performance have come from those kind of other... Yeah, sort of live art, visual arts, yeah. performance art. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't
1: really have much experience of those particular areas, but, um, yeah, it probably informs the kind of work that I like to make. That you would like to make.
0: So did you... Yeah. And then I went on, should I say? Yeah, way? yeah, I was going to say, so the other way it works... Did that directly come out of that, or did you sort of do masters or further training? Yeah,
1: so I mean, the other the other way works was actually formed the summer that we graduated wow. in two thousand and one, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and that was a much larger group of us. Um, and all female? Did you say all female? Well. Yeah, that was very much part of the ethos, mm. um, feminist, and. Yeah, we, we made a piece... Well, it was, it was sort of a backlash against a piece that we'd studied, really. <laughs> which was... Um, oh, no, this is terrible. I should not look this up. Uh, oh, gosh. I can't remember what the piece is called. Anyway. Was it, was it was a, a text-based text. We We devised a piece. Okay. Sort of in response to this uh, play that we'd studied, which was about a woman uh, being tried in a courtroom. It's terrible, I can't remember. Oh, yeah, really. The name of our show was Banishing the Beast. Mm-hmm. Classic. Um, and we, we sort of worked on it together. Some people wrote a bit more. Mm-hmm. Some of us naturally moved more towards the directing, which was myself and, and my friend Jane. And um, I think we probably all performed in it, or maybe I didn't, I can't remember. Anyway, Wait. so we made this piece which was a, about, kind of a, uh, against this, uh, this, this text-based show um, that we'd studied. And it was, yeah, a kind of a feminist... Uh, agitprop prop mm-hmm. piece, yeah, which we performed, um yeah, and then after that, everyone sort of went their own ways mm-hmm.
0: um, and so the yeah. initial company did you all study here then yes, yeah, so that
1: was okay. all of us were were on We're on the drama course, except for we had we worked with a woman called Nuri who was a musician and she'd study music, mm-hmm. so she wrote original music for us, they for were for in a while. the
0: same place, weren't they, because i um, my yeah. One of my colleagues They're back in, in Portsmouth did music here, and he said he was also based in the Muirhead Town. Yeah, they
1: were the next, they were the Arts Park next door, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she was a housemate of my friend. Anyway, you know, it's like we were, we were a Classic. group. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and then it sort of went on hold, and then we we had a year where like people did different things. I mean, personally, I worked at the university library cataloguing a theatre collection for special collections. Um, And then we're travelling and, you know, other people did other things. And we we did get together again at the end of that year and we did a piece that uh, one of the people in the group, Rachel Yarsley, uh, sort of wrote for us while we used to kick her every morning, get up and write us some
0: script. (laughs) Um,
1: And uh, she wrote uh, a thing which was about Sarah Bernhardt, uh, The Life of Sarah Bernhardt. Oh, okay. It's called Divine. It was quite a short thing, and we, we sort of performed it at, like, you know, little opportunities. As well. Yeah, and yeah. Um, um, yeah, and then we, and then I went and did a master's degree in London mm-hmm. um, at, well, then Central School of Speech and Drama. Yeah. And that was in, um, what was it called, Advanced Theatre Practice? Yeah, yeah,
0: I think they still do that
1: Which actually. used to laugh at all the technical staff at Central, we used to laugh that it was called advanced, <laughs> they used to think we were total wasters. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah I think they still do that with yeah.
1: this programme actually. Yeah it was, I mean it was good, it was a, it was an odd year for, for the programme because Andy Lavender had been leading it mm-hmm. until that point and then he sort of got promoted, essentially, and then it was slightly in flux, there weren't quite enough staff, and so it was quite an odd one, but in in some ways, it was good, because it meant that, to be honest, we were kind of just left to our own devices, so there was, you know, 35 people from all over Europe. Yeah, it's a good cohort as well, for Masters. Yeah, big big cohort, and it was all sort of, um, it was mixed, so there was people who'd signed up for sort of different strands, directors, performers, Mm -hmm couple of puppeteers, a producer, yeah. writing designer, kind of a writer's, you know, so there's it's quite, quite an
0: empty, it has pathways through it, doesn't it, and it's quite an empty kind of space that you can kind of fill with mm. what you want to do. Yes, and
1: because we, we
0: were a little bit low on staffing, um, we
1: were <laughs> kind of put into ad hoc kind of group sort of set projects and then mm-hmm. basically made work as collaborative groups. Great. And so that was very different from what I'd done before mm-hmm. and was really um, I learnt loads <laughs> that year and also went to see a lot of contemporary work talked about contemporary work, met people who'd
0: studied more contemporary work that was a really exciting time as well in London because I studied at Roehampton and I started my degree in 2000 mm-hmm. so Finished in two thousand and three, and Riverside was putting on really exciting work. The Worcester group came over. Mm. for Stents were hugely active at that point, and yeah, I think it's have seen that. Yeah, yeah, and um, Robert Lepage Yes, yes, um, like at, at yes, lyric? it was. I went to see that yeah. as well. <laughs> <It> <laughs> I was, was a Impressed with the screen, I hadn't seen anything before that like that, where they had this yeah, kind of gauze, gauze, yeah, that they would not yeah, what so what so was it so called? La Casa La Casa I think I've got the script on, on my book <laughs> somewhere, actually. That was in my... I must have been in second year, maybe third year when I went to see that, so... But yeah, it was an exciting time in London, wasn't it? Was, yeah, like, there was loads I did see a lot of work that year. Great that was stuff. good and made
1: a lot of, uh, of work ourselves. And that was what really introduced me, I think, to, like, cross-disciplinary making mm-hmm. of theatre. And also, um, basically, kind of site specific working and yeah. also interactive or immersive or at working. Mm-hmm. Um, and we all just sort of experimented with all those kinds of things. Yeah, and I mean, not everybody did. A lot of people put on things that happen on a stage. A stage yeah. um, although I imagine, you know, that's still probably quite sort of experimental in their own way. Students,
0: was that but, the yeah. shift for you then, kind of away from that sort of textual-based approach that you were doing sort of early on after leaving your undergraduate? Um,
1: yeah, I think it just gave me some tools, really. I think mm-hmm. I think I hadn't really known how you would do this. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was definitely an introduction to how you could try and make something and yeah. what it was like, and that's that's the kind of work that I made while I was there, was... Um, pieces that were very, uh, very much about the uh, audience as uh, as an active participant, mm-hmm. um, and we made a piece that we um, was was called Whopping Audio. I don't know what it was called actually when we did it on the degree, but we did a whole load of work around um, the area of whopping in East London, mm-hmm. around walking that area, and I think we we basically got the entire department i think to kind of (laughs) the entire course to sort of people it for us actually i think we sort of got them all to do that these micro performance things and Mm -hmm. then sort of had a walk around them looking back and that's what we did and then from from that we actually carried on working together three of the team from that uh, elisa matt and myself and we um, made a piece called whopping audio which was like an audio walk Mm -hmm. which we made in about 2005 um, wow okay yeah and we we burnt it on CDs we had CDs made um, we got a small arts council grant for that and um, we had these CDs made and that was super early in the uh, mm-hmm. days of audio walks yep
0: you know it was like pre-mp3 yeah um, and there's yeah. loads of issues cameras for using CDs as well doesn't there they just kind of <laughs>
1: yeah I mean there's some, it's <laughs> hilarious I mean, look back at it now it's, it seems hilarious but anyway yeah <laughs> But that was, that was the kind of work that I made, and I, yeah, I learnt a lot. I met lots of great people who were both friends and who I collaborated with since. Um, yeah, and it was quite sort of fundamental to, to learn that stuff. Mm. I think I, yeah, I don't
0: know. So you started uh, kind of really making work in, your, in the sort of current company, from what I can see, in sort of 2004, <laughs> 2005. Yeah, that's right. Um, and it was homing instinct. Was mm-hmm. that one of the first pieces that you made? So how did that all of that kind of consolidate into the other way works and starting to kind of like get that work out there?
1: Um, so I I think after doing the master's degree, I I thought right, well I want to have a company. You know that's the way to do things. You know, and I want mm-hmm. to have a, a a company made work. Um, kind of process, and then I thought, well, I need a company, <laughs> and then I thought, well, actually I have sort of got a company, you know, we've, yeah. we've got a, a kind of nascent company there, and although I was the only one who'd done that master's, I don't think anyone else had done any other particular study, except for Nuri, who'd done, continued with uh, composition, um, I thought, well, maybe we can make this into a company, and... Mm-hmm. and and work and uh, so, really myself and and Jane, uh, Packman, uh, decided to that we would kind of give it a go really. Yeah. So um, the two other people involved at that time still really was Catherine Catherine Maxwell Cook then and um, Louise Platt and they were always more sort of the actors I suppose at that time and Jane and I were always the directors really. Mm-hmm. Jane and I, uh, very much. Uh, sort of took up the same space and the same role, which was yeah. Yeah, very encouraging at the beginning. But then, of course, there's a bit of issues <laughs> as we go on. Um, yeah, so we decided... We were both living in London then, having done the Masters and she was working in London, and we decided to move back to Birmingham. I got married and my husband had a house and a job in Birmingham, so that was convenient. Yeah, well, there we go, yeah. So absolutely. we sort of came back and, and Jane also made the move to Birmingham, and we kind of set it up, trying to set up the company as a proper kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, kind of in spring, spring two thousand and four. Okay. Um, yeah, in my dining room. <laughs> <laughs> <It's squeezed away. laughs> Which I think I think Jane was living with us as well for a bit. Yeah, for about the first three months, so we were living. In my house and trying uh-huh. to accompany, yeah,
0: making work, yeah, but yeah. I don't
1: know how much work we were making at that <laughs> stage. But I think we were trying to work out how you s- sort of. We, well, we raised some money. We did raise a small arts council uh-huh. grant, and yeah, and then kind of got us started with making that the um, homing instinct show. I think we'd started homing instinct in two thousand and three, actually, and then we 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 made the sort of the, the final version and toured it and toured in two
0: thousand and four. Okay and so can you tell us a little bit about that first piece then what was that like and what was that about um i think
1: it it kind of created the fundamentals of oh i don't think we really have a style (laughs) but you know style (laughs) um but it it was very much about the form the um the form following the content Mm -hmm and it was about we wanted to make something about home i mean it's it's kind of funny because i when i see these shows now that people make when you're a couple of years out of university it's just what you're obsessed with yeah that time. i was going to
0: say that you tend not to have necessarily an aesthetic or a style but you have fascinations and obsessions that motifs that seem to kind of constantly come up in your work (laughs)
1: yeah I mean I think it's kind of funny now when I look back at it because it was just you know that's that's what we were all interested in like where's our home do we do we live with our parents do we live here this isn't really a home this is just somewhere we randomly live in and Mm -hmm. um but I think that's what most people feel like at that age and um, yeah anyway we made our version of it (laughs) so we got really interested in the idea about what home was what that meant and we sort of went through different processes, we interviewed people, people from lots of different walks of life. Um, and I think we sort of quite quickly came to the kind of understanding that everyone's concept of home was different. Mm-hmm. There, you know, there is no sort of, this is your home because of this. And we felt like we wanted to try and work out how we could, um, communicate this idea about home in a way that wasn't about, you know, a single authorial voice about what mm-hmm. home was. Um, and we wanted to, to sort of have all these kind of multiple voices about what people's opinions of homes were in the piece, but also to allow space for the audience, the people who are coming to experience it, to think about their own opinions about home. Okay.
0: Um, and allow them to sort of bring themselves into that experience. Yeah, to sort of generate home through their engagement. Yeah, and, and just to
1: allow them to, to, to be able to say, well, this is interesting to hear about this version of home or this person's been on home and but for you to be able to think what do I think about home mm-hmm. and where is my home and and allow that within the actual work rather than just something you think about when you go home mm-hmm. later um, and so the we, we initially I think made something that was more sort of stage based mm-hmm. and then it it became I don't know, it just felt right that it was something that was done on a more individual basis. And and that because I'd done work on my course that was like that, where mm-hmm. we just dealt with individual audience members or members, you know, in small groups or whatever, I, I guess I felt confident to suggest that that might be a good mechanism. Yeah. And it seemed to fit in terms of the idea that you had an individual idea about home. And so we would treat you as an individual. As an individual. <laughs> um, and so it was a kind of installation, I guess, performance installation. And you walk, you kind of came, I can't remember how long it was now, probably not very long. You came in and it was all kind of quite provisional. The, the kind of the aesthetic idea was that it was a bit like walking into a a house that was packed up in boxes, okay. conveniently cheap um, aesthetic. Absolutely. Cardboard boxes. <laughs> so we made the whole sort of set as it was, really, from cardboard boxes. We also, for some reason, decided that it had to be performed in gallery spaces, mm-hmm. which is just annoying, actually, really. I was Wait,
0: I-, I was the same in my, uh, in my early work. I was like, this has to be done outside of the theatrical space, but the only other place then I was like, it has to be done in a gallery. But that comes with huge issues of footfall, the way you manoeuvre people through, the expectations of the audience coming as well a slightly different, especially in those early days of this kind of work too, yeah. people were just so baffled.
1: We didn't know how to describe the work, <laughs> this work didn't exist. We were yeah. trying to, we'd never booked a tour before, let alone a theatre tour before, let alone mm. trying to work with galleries who work on different programming cycles. You know, the galleries put two years ahead and, yeah. yes, it was, I mean, it was, it was in some ways a classic piece. Really, really logistically difficult to mount. Yeah, why do we make it so difficult? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think the idea is around treating the audience as an individual, um, and providing experience that's very kind of um, uh, that that you that you're very active in. That you're moving around a physical space. Mm-hmm. That you're actively participating, uh, talking to to mem- To you know, talking to actors. Um, you know, physically being in different locations trying I you know, we, we we just experimented with lots of different techniques, so we had like kind of feely boxes and things at one point where mm-hmm. you sort of well, smell things and at one point you kind of sat in the back of a, a kind of car that we made of cardboard. Mm-hmm. And the idea was that you were uh, sat on a back seat of the car mm-hmm. and your your mum and dad Oh, your mum was in the front. I think I'm even on the
0: phone. Shows how long ago that was. that you we were allowed to talk on
1: the phone in talk the car. Talk on the phone in the car. Um, but yeah, she's talking to the, your dad on the phone. and you, You've been picked up from the train station and you're going back to live with your parents. <laughs> and it's that idea of like kind of putting you in a situation where you're sort of in the back seat and you feel like a child again. Mm-hmm. And that whole thing of like the parents are talking in the front. Suddenly so yeah. you are sort of infantilised yeah. by that situation. And... Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it, we used lots of different kind of me- little sort of mechanisms and some visual stuff and um, hopefully by the end people felt that they explored different ideas about what home was and how they would feel. And um, and then we kind of had the thing where we had p- sort of paper aeroplanes at the end where people wrote what, what home was for them mm-hmm. and then hung them up. And, mm-hmm. um, so it, it kind of generated an installation mm-hmm. of those things. Um, so yeah, I think it kind of helped to form... a a way forward in terms of something different that we were making for people. Um, But it wasn't sort of... We didn't set out saying, let's make a groundbreaking piece of, you know, immersive this whatever. It just kind of felt that it made some sense with what we were trying... The material we were trying to work with. And I... Yeah. I think, I I mean, looking... Reflecting back on things, I realised that my... I was always doing this as a child, basically. Yeah. I was just always trying to make kind of experiences. Experiences, yeah. And that uh, that's basically what I still do. It's just that I have more tools at my disposal to make them... Well, it's better.
0: At pretty much everyone I've talked to, this is the case. No one kind of sits out and says... I want to make uh, a kind of something that's groundbreaking or I want to make something. I think it's happening a bit more now, potentially people making things that are immersive for the sake of immersive yeah. because of its kind of situation right now. Um, but I think everyone I've spoken to who's kind of come at this has that sort of fundamental drive of wanting to create something for someone else to have mm. or to experience. And I think that that is fundamental drive and it would be so much easier to step away and put stuff on stage it's easier to tour it's easier to get people in yeah but there's that drive that sits underneath that of that desire to to give people agency in that way and to give them something that's specific to them or something that that is that isn't tangible and and can't be kept afterwards but just happens in that moment and i think pretty much everyone i've spoken to has that kind Mm, of that desire I think
1: it's also just about how like, how I understand the world and how I uh, learn and, mm. you know, so, I, I mean, I I make experiences, I guess, that I would like to do. So sometimes people yes. say, so what's your... I mean, it's <laughs> terrible these days. People, you can't say that anymore. You know, no. like, who's your audience? Me. Me? <laughs> no, I yes. say that anymore. No, exactly. But it, it's <laughs> true, yeah. isn't it? You... It's, it's me. I, I, I want to do things like this because this is how I learn you know and this is what I find fun and um yeah so that I would I like to do things like this and I like to make things like this for other people other people do enjoy them as well (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly (laughs)
0: exactly but yeah I think it's about and I'm always the same I want to do I want to do that kind of thing and if I I think if I would find this fun or if I would find this interesting or if I would find this something that would help me to open something up then it hopefully will be valuable for someone else and i'm a real hostess as well and a nester so all of those things kind of (laughs) (laughs) feed into this idea though but it's about other people and it's about giving other people access and making other people have access to something and that's what drives me and i think that's what drives most people Mm. as well who make this kind of work because it's not easy Mm. and like you're saying even back then not having the language not really having the terminology to sort of even now that's still very much the case i think the time Im- and we can talk about that now. Mm-hmm. Actually, this, this time immersion has kind of blown up. It's become this kind of cool word. It's, it gets attached to literally everything yeah. at the moment. It's like happenings. What happened to it in the sixties? It's <laughs> kind of a prow had this kind of sense, and then it just got picked up by everything, even bra advertising. And I think immersive has, <laughs> has become exactly that phenomenon. So it's become this empty term that doesn't mean a great deal. But actually, we're still st- even now. And I'm thinking it's not. It's not a rehearsal. And I start to see a lot of gaming terminology now coming in to help to talk about this because actually there's so many synergies. But yeah, I think the field is still very much a case of are they audience? They're not really audience. Yeah. Are they guests? They're not always necessarily guests. Yeah, and we never know what Participants, to call them. yeah. yeah.
1: We, we just genuinely never know. You kind of, you wonder whether you should just make up a word. Yeah. <laughs> um, like we used to call it audience. Audience, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or something, but I don't know. It's, I mean, I, I just change... And then depends what ends up in the copy. I I generally call people (laughs) audience... The thing is, I I still... Because I'm a theatre maker, because I'm from a theatre background, I fundamentally think about what I... I've always fundamentally thought about what I make as theatre. Yeah. And so I still use the terminology of theatre. I very much still operate within this... Within the way that the theatre sector works. Mm -hmm. It's quite hard, actually, to... To to it is it does have more in common with it to be honest yeah. in terms of its practice and in terms of its aims and all of those things so I I, I still feel very much in theatre even if I'm using you know term, sort of practices from other disciplines it's not um, I I still fundamentally think it's theatre people that's yeah. one of the things if you so it's not that's right it's my mum it's not
0: theatre yeah that's yeah, yeah. I get that she lot. said well
1: it's but it's not really theatre is it she said to me after maybe watching Homey Instinct or something (laughs) and it was just funny because I I think it fundamentally is theatre but it's just not um it's not you know sitting in the in the dark in a big auditorium it's it's these days I find to be honest that my work is more theatrical more traditionally theatrical than quite a lot of work that I see yeah in terms of the kind of movement of uh uh, this kind of um non-character based performance what you know yeah it seems to be massively prevalent in contemporary work where, where people are sort of not really in a role they're in they're, they're playing themselves yeah and they're just basically
0: telling you about something um <laughs> that, that's very much so how I anti- work, in theatrical that, really. yeah yeah in that way but i think as well it poses these questions isn't it about what what is theater and the elasticity of that term and also what's its relationship to performance as well but audiences don't care about that no <laughs> they want a fun experience or an enlightening experience or a moving yeah. experience they yeah. just want to feel something when they come to that work so for them it's irrelevant really whether it's theater a yeah. game experience or if, if it's if it's something other but for me as an academic as well as being a maker I kind of always have these tensions I'm like I don't know what to call them I spent my whole PhD back in 2006 is when I started when again there was no real terminology to talk about it's it. why I had this huge thesis I put forward and I articulate it I've never used those because by the time I finished I call them material creatorly participants, right, which is yeah. very, it's, it's rooted in, in a very clear kind of genealogy and critical uh, sort of framework. But audiences don't care. And it's such a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever used it in copy ever. It's just kind of sat dusty on the shelf in the PhD and all of these kind of terms to describe this work. But it seems that immersive seems to be the term... That audiences do respond to, that they recognise, yeah, and producers as well.
1: I mean, I it's it's funny all these terminologies and the kind of trends because I think in some ways it's they are actually really useful. It's very useful in a lot of ways when these things become more understood and become popular because it means that people have some sense of what on earth you're talking about. <laughs> yes, and there's a kind of a there's a market in which to operate. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you look back at us trying to tour Home Institute in 2004, I mean, <laughs> you know, like, people didn't know what earth we were trying to do, really, or no. why, or... Where to pick you, know, you,
0: how to programme... You know,
1: what do you say about... It? <laughs> you, you were just an oddball, really. Yeah. And that it's... Uh, so it's very helpful to have these kind mm-hmm. of things where, where, where you try and explain what the piece is. So, like, with Black Tonic that we made in... 2008, you know, we just, I decided to bring it back in 2015, and, yeah. and that was partly just because in those intervening six years, you know, like, Punch Drunk had become a phenomenon. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they were they were similar age to us, really. I think.
0: And synonymous as well with yeah, with, with a very particular immersive type well, of massive theatre. Yeah, and and there's a battle with that as well. Yeah, of you know, course. Um, <laughs> with expectations around the fact
1: that if you say your work is this, and they people are assuming this, they think it's punch drunk. It, yes, which is, you know, there's other ways of of doing this kind of work. I agree, but. Um, The yeah, but at least it meant that people had an understanding of what on earth you were talking about. If you said it's a show in a in a hotel and, you know, it's interactive. I mean back in two thousand and eight, nine it was like, Well what on earth is this? Yeah, of course. Whereas you know, it it had a it had a market that it sat it, it had a a genre almost that it could be part of when we toured it in 2015. Yeah.
0: Well, it starts to fit, doesn't it? And there is a landscape now of, Im- of immersion and gamification that these things can sort of fit within. But it, I think, again, it's, it's always slightly, uncomfortably, but like you said, it's a useful tool because one audience is seeking it out. Yeah. They're, and you're getting the kind of audiences who aren't going to be su- too surprised or too shocked mm. at some they of the things. They want to do They do want it, to do rather than that. Rather than thinking that they're going to the theatre and then, <laughs> going. What? What? what are you making me do? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think I think it helps in that respect of that relationship and getting getting the right audience in and getting people who actually want to yeah. have an experience who aren't who aren't gonna be really freaked out by having to get up out of their seats. So I think that's that's improved enormously. But now we also have the other scale of the problem that punch drunks become this kind of almost kind of this gold standard of how it should be done in, especially in terms of some of audiences' perspectives is what I've found and what they do, they do very well. But like yeah. you said, there's so many other aesthetics and approaches and mechanisms for doing those things that, that not everyone is going to work like that. Yeah. But they were so useful because of the way that they did establish mm. a, a kind of field. Yeah. For everyone to sort of just popularize the form. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. That's they do. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But yeah. in a yeah, very, I particular way, way, in yeah. very particular way.
1: In a very particular way. I mean, the downsides of these, I think, like, site-specific had its moment about five years ago, where suddenly everything had to be site-specific. site-specific. And, again, it, it's kind of, in some ways it's good, because people, it's yeah. more understood what it is. Yeah. But on the other hand, the problem with all of those things is that then you get a kind of bandwagon, where everyone wants to have a part of it, and then everything... Yeah is described as site-specific, whether well, it's site-specific <laughs> or, or not. not. Yeah, It's just being performed somewhere that isn't a theatre, you know. And, yeah. I mean, that's sort of irritating when you're a bit of a purist like me, because I'm, it's like, yeah. well, this isn't really, is it? You've just set up a theatre in, in, in another in site. In another space. I find <laughs> this
0: frustrating as well, and I just think, as, as an audience member as well, and I always bear this in my making, is there has to be a really good reason <laughs> for me to get out of my seat there has to be some added value or there has to there has to be some impetus for me to want to play with, with you yeah. instead of watching you. I,
1: I very much agree with that, I have to say. And I I mean, hopefully I, I address that in our work because I think it is it comes out of it's so fundamentally made around the experience of the audience that it's yeah. not it's not sort of an add-on like, oh wouldn't it be fun if we did this on the whatever? Yeah, yeah. Um But yeah, I mean, certainly when I go and see work and I'm like, is this, does this need to be here? Could Mm -hmm. I, could I have enjoyed it? Could I have sat this, sat in a nice, warm, comfortable (laughs) theatre?
0: The amount of times I've been frozen to death, sat in awful places. I just think, actually there's, you've literally just made a theatre in a space that's not a theatre. To the detriment of the audience, yeah. because it's uncomfortable or it's really cold, and it makes it harder for me to actually engage mm-hmm. with you in a way that you wouldn't have had to deal with if you'd have just, you know, done yeah. it in <laughs> the a yeah. space. I, I saw something where you had to kind of walk around in this
1: sort of unpleasant building, um, <laughs> and sort of walk between scenes. In each room is sort of a different scene, and. You know, basically, it wasn't, wasn't terrible sight was couldn't see, what's that Wasn't called? it the OXO Tower, was No, it, it wasn't. Okay. I don't know really want to say <laughs> it, but um, it, it, was, it was, it was a narr- sort of narrative piece, it mm-hmm. was very theatrical, uh, to be honest, you just shuffled between rooms and then stood there, not being able to see mm-hmm. very well, yes. over a massive group of people's heads. And, you know, you just sort of at that stage you just think, well, maybe we could have been sat on a nice great seating bank while you changed the seat
0: in seat. Front of us. Exactly. <laughs> and I, I always ask that. And I, I do that with the students as well. I'm always like, you have to ask yourself when you're making work like this, because of course, at the moment, they are always they always want to go that way. They always want to make something. They put the audience inside it. I'm like, but why? Why do you want to do that? Is there value for the audience's role? And what does it do to the text or the ideas or the themes that you are working with because if there's no real genuine impetus to engage somebody don't yeah in that way because actually it's it just becomes really uncomfortable for the audience and yeah i've been to loads where i just i call it shuffle theater yeah (laughs) yeah just shuffle because my partner often doesn't get to come with me because Obviously, used to go for research reasons as well. And he's like, How was it? I was like, Shuffle theatre. He's like, Oh. <laughs> and it's just when they shuffle you from space to space to watch a yeah. scene. And I'm just like, There's no real value of. If it's site specific, it should be driven and informed organically by that site or in some meaningful way by that site. That site mm. has to bring kind of something to it.
1: So sometimes you can, but I mean, sometimes there can be things where you are moving between spaces, but yeah, then it's yeah. sort of, and essentially, it's, but they've they just made it so much better. Like when I saw, um, it was a, I think it was a collaboration with RSC, it was Cardboard Citizens that um, did Pericles in London, this was years ago, and that was in a huge warehouse space. But I mean, some of that, just... it was just very bold in the way that it, it, it dealt with the site. I remember yeah. one room where, yeah, it was one of those things where the extravagance of the, the image, it just completely paid off. It, it, it's kind of almost unbelievable that you would do it, but you, you literally walked along the, the edge of a room, so you sort of walked from one room to another along the edge of this large room, and you just sort of looked as you walked, and this, the entire room had um, camberts, just, you know, like 200 canvases wow. And then I think Pericles was sort of sat on one in the middle. Oh, okay. You know, it was just... But that 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 is the, the value, minute. isn't it? Is, yeah. it, is, is that visual... And it's just sort of the extravagance of that. Yeah. That you saw it for one minute as you walked yeah. through the space, you know. But it's this huge room with these... And you couldn't well, have done that in a the theatre, but that's
0: where the value comes, isn't it, is that added... So how do you manage... And I have problems with this, and everyone I talk to you have problems with this, is when the central element of your work is often absent in the making process so the audience <laughs> the person that everything is for and the person that everything is designed for how do you manage that very specifically in your making process um,
1: I think um, I suppose I, I have to always be the I think of myself as the audience advocate uh-huh. I suppose. and I think that's the director's role anyway in theatre yeah, to be absolutely. the first audience isn't it so i I always think of myself, I guess as the first audience for it mm. um and and operating as an advocate for them, yeah, in the mm-hmm. experience, so when you're making it, I'm thinking about what they're doing and how they're feeling about that mm-hmm. um, so I think that's that's a role that I play it's quite a large role, I think, in terms of what I, what Absolutely. I do when I'm working on something so um that's the, probably the first way. <laughs> the other way that I think we've probably always done to some extent, which is do kind of work in progress. And, it, yeah, I mean, again, that wasn't really a thing <laughs> when we started doing <laughs> yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. Um, but we always showed our work in progress. Mm-hmm. Um, and we sort of did our own little mini sort of testing things from from, yeah. from years ago. Way from the very first piece, really, and um, I'm trying to think, was it when we made the piece treasured? We 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 worked in a whole strand of things where we invited people back and we had several sort of showings. um and, and feedback sessions. So we'd kind of built in our own sort of testing process. So again, it's funny because it's like, that's something now that I have the language to talk about and there's processes Absolutely. around sort of um, technology development or whatever. Of course. But um, really, that's what we were doing anyway, although that was very unusual. Most people didn't do that. And then Scratch became a thing. But then Scratch became a,
0: a thing about... Showcasing, which is actually, She's anti, huge. Yeah, it's hugely actually. problematic as well for this kind of work. Because like, okay, oh, so you've impossible. got fifty. Because I have the same stuff. like if you've got fifteen minutes to show a group of people to get their feedback, and you're like, mm, but this is one on one. Yeah. <laughs> how how do I? And I don't want them to watch because that's kind of unethical yeah. in some yeah. ways too, and not helpful. So I find scratches yeah anti. Yeah. anti- I mean, I've,
1: I've always, uh, I mean, we've always sort of
0: participated with things on a regional level with
1: that, but that's probably because we were involved from very early on, like in, in Pilot, which is a sort of West Midlands um, one, so we, we were involved very early and so we kind of, um, <laughs> you know, we said, well, you can do your shows on the stage, but we'll, do, we'll have our slots you know where people can just come worse. and see us and so to be honest people have generally been quite accommodating of the fact that that we like to be involved with those things but not um, but we can't participate in the same way yeah um but yeah so there's i mean i don't i don't like the platforming aspect of those and i find that, that it's annoying that people theoretically think that they're trying stuff out but they're not really and I there's always, a lot of anti-danger yeah. you know anti-risk in those and that's just not for me that's not the spirit of it and they play
0: a very particular role which again isn't really spoken about too much in people's work being picked up produced and developed
1: yeah
0: actually I think they are part of of that process but it's not explicitly couched as such always not always yeah sometimes
1: I mean sometimes it is but yeah um, yeah
0: yeah, I mean, I don't know, it's an
1: audition really, isn't it? Yes, Updating yes, it, it absolutely is. But what what it, I think it's annoying because I think some people think that that is about testing so they think that uh, that theatre is doing that but actually theatre mostly isn't doing that because no. what it's doing is showing, choosing the best, the best 10 minutes they can find or making a 10-minute piece, really. Yeah, instead of actually presenting audition. a problem
0: in yeah. some respects which is, for me, what beta testing, scratching yeah. actually is about. It's about trying to solve... Yeah, it's a a peak sticky peak. bit, yeah, <laughs> a difficulty or just trying to figure out if something actually does work in the ways that you anticipate that it might work. And um, so I think it's really interesting that gaming, te- gaming language has given really useful mm. ways of being able to talk about that. Because, of course, you've just had a series of play tests yeah. and player testing, which I think, again, comes from that sort of gaming language. Because they are used to doing that because they are entirely player-led yeah. in that way, so they have that terminology to talk about it. And in the early days, it's used to call them, guinea pigs. <laughs> I need yeah. guinea pigs,
1: please. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it, it, is, it is useful
0: to have this terminology. I didn't
1: really know about it so much, but I mean, when I went to work at um, Watershed in 2009-10, um, I think I sort of learned a lot more there around... Sort of technology development processes, mm-hmm. um, and talking about testing early, and um, you know, making, making kind of paper prototypes, making
0: cheap, basically
1: cheap prototype cheaply. Yeah.
0: Test. All well, even the just time. that word prototype again. Yeah. It's <laughs> coming from from that and the idea of mechanic as well, and the fact yeah. that, that sort of language is now. But it's useful. Yeah, it's more
1: prevalent, but it's very useful in making this work. Yeah. Yes. Because before, I mean, there wasn't really any language around it it was just this is what we're doing because this is the only way we can replicate uh what the experience will be is to get people to actually to actually
0: actually do it and it's not because you're not rehearsing in that no traditional theatrical sense often there are moments of it in the construction of things but actually often it's about playing the experience to see if it functions in the ways that you expect, especially with people, because people behave in in ways yes. <laughs> that you and <laughs> people, <up on>. people <laughs> like to be individuals, and they
1: don't they don't behave like a no, yeah, they not don't exactly. all behave the same, they <laughs> they don't all behave like me, which is very Yeah, certainly. And you can of
0: course try and anticipate as much as you possibly can, but there is always going to be an element. Of, uh, that's the fun as well. That's kind of the heart of it, isn't it? Is that yeah. You don't know how people are going to necessarily, but you sort of have to account. for as many possibilities as you can so you're prepared for them I guess in some ways I think just during experience we're better at anticipating what people might do yes
1: um just from years of doing it but um, you, you never know until in the specific situation until you try it and that's what the tests or you know, work in progress give you loads of useful data on. Mm-hmm. The more you run it, the more people do it, the more weird things they do <laughs> and then you can kind of create a catalogue of all of those things. Yeah. And I think with, with the piece that I'm making now it's more, um, that will be more formalised because we will be sort of uh, you know hard coding some of this stuff but in the past like with Black Tonic, for example, that was more sort of just embodied uh, learning, mm. I guess. slightly more informally learnt, where it was around uh, the audience. This is performed in a hotel. The audience, uh, we didn't expect them to, and they just decided to open the door of their bedroom, look in the corridor, and our current situation was that, you know, the, the two actors would just be waiting in the corridor for when their scene started. Um and when they opened the door and they were just sort of standing there, standing kind of there, having a whispered chat, yeah, yeah, it was like, oh, we need to uh, readdress this queuing, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because yeah. you know you've just basically looked backstage, backstage, yeah, and we weren't expecting that, so you know obviously that was oh, okay, can't do that. <laughs> Next time we went, you know, that that change yeah. that that changes that queue.
0: Well, you build up a, a body yeah. of, of knowledge and <laughs> the same way that you do in any pra- practice in that way, don't you? And it does come with experience. And I struggle sometimes with students. Uh, especially if they're doing one-on-one stuff where they're playing kind of themselves, is how do you teach that sense of just being responsive to that other person in that space, but within the mechanisms that you have kind of set up. And I think it's learned. I think it comes from from Mm. facing people (laughs) on numerous occasions (laughs) and with many different outcomes. And you get a sensibility, I think, and you start to just get this sort of corporeal... Knowing mm-hmm. of how you manage other people like that, but I think there has to be an innate want to do that as well. Yeah, definitely. And also, I think some people are naturally yes. just sort of better at it, to be
1: honest. I agree. Some people I are very that, that's some people's skill, and I think that was partly why this work developed in this way was it was just the way that we were able to do things. Yeah, and you know, I'm, I'm more confident in making this kind of work, I would be at sea trying to produce a big stage production, I think. I don't know. <clears throat> when, we, when we started making Avon Calling in... I have to you remember, know, actually. Yeah, 2011. We um, actually, we started before that. We started in about 2009. And we initially, partly due to the kind of scratch framework thing, we, we ended up making a piece that was a 30-minute piece for the stage. Oh, wow. for that. Because of the mechanism of sort of doing a scratch and then getting a bit of money and then having yeah. to show it as a double bill and then all of this kind of stuff, so we just sort of explored the narrative material. This is my myself working with Louise Platt as the kind of writer performer, um, and we showed this sort of thirty minutes of material as a double bill mm-hmm. on the Warwick Arts Centre in the, in the studio on the stage there, which is actually massive. Yeah, it is massive. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we kind of got there. And we were like. <clears throat> And we were all we, we were just both at sea a bit really. Didn't yeah. Because I? Yeah. I was not used to. I was completely out of the habit of directing stage work. And yes. You know, Lou didn't really have any experience of being a stage performer in that way to be no. honest.
0: And so it's like you kind of have to. You kind of have to project. You know,
1: these are issues that you don't
0: have. Stagecraft. Like... I've forgotten. I'm much more comfortable taking someone's hand and taking them in a cupboard one on one. Yeah. Do you know what
1: I mean? That's all Five good. Fine with that. Fine with that. Great. But...
0: Put me in the middle of a. You, you
1: know, there's, there's 150 people in yeah. this. So you're going to have to actually speak quite a lot loudly. And, like, yeah.
0: lighting and stuff, and I'm always like, oh, Because yeah, I work out in same degree, non-theatrical thing. spaces, yeah. so it has its own... It doesn't um, come with lighting, so then you have to do lighting design. I'm like, uh... <laughs>
1: Yes, it was a it was a bit of a, a shock to the system. It's like right, remember, remember what what did I used to do when I used to do this job? You know, pull those files back up. Yeah. Um, so that was a bit weird. And then um, I, I then went I went to Yorkshire for a year and, and ran this a third sandbox program and then came back and then we, we made it as a We made the decision to make it as a piece that happened in people's living rooms, audience members own living rooms. Yeah, and so. Although for most people that would be terrifying idea to turn up at somebody's house that you've never been before, um, and perform, you know, a solo performance as Lou did, in mm-hmm. in their living room, um, where you were interacting with them and you were taking them on board all of their stuff. You know, I mean, in generally that would probably be absolutely terrifying, but that was much more much more comfortable, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Because and- Lou's just very good at she's very good at holding that awkwardness. Yeah. Which I I mean I'm personally terrible at actually but she, she's very very good at holding kind of a awkward feeling <laughs> She still works as a drama therapist which is i think kind of <laughs> she's got the skills yeah to um, with that and and she can be very responsive to people she's very very good mm-hmm. at, at responsive improvisation in those situations and so that's it, the work kind of gets led by our yeah By our skills, I'm more comfortable randomly going, taking a piece in someone's home than trying to direct a stage production. Yeah, just the way that we're better at things or that we understand the world yeah so because so, people always sort of
0: say things like oh it's a bit risky the work or whatever and you just think well it's not it's not really this is just the way that we do things. we the way we do things exactly yeah. and I, th- I think the same people are always like oh is that not as terrifying or scary like no it's, it's way that's more scary than the other way thing the other and sometimes because I was i work in uh he so sometimes i do have to do those stage and like when people say have you read this script or this new script i'm like it's really not what i do anymore i haven't done it for like 10 years I don't engage in that kind of theatrical practice and I haven't done for a really long time mm. so occasionally when I get thrown in the deep end like direct a piece with this with 20 students I'm like yeah that was quick good <laughs> good. <laughs> remember everything I had to do and how to do everything but I think calling is really interesting in terms of the form because if I'm right you sold so people bought a ticket but the ticket was kind of the ticket for everyone coming to their houses so yeah. was that a challenge kind of working with that ticketing system did it did it go well or was it
1: yeah I mean, we're always basically presenting a challenge to the partners that we're working with absolutely um, in terms of uh, coming up with different ticketing, models yeah. and things like that I mean in some ways it, it's easier than I remember when we tried to ticket homey instinct it was just such a pain because there's just a million tickets and they're like our system is not able to put on Forty tickets, you know, individual yeah. shows. So yeah, it's Literally, I had this at Brighton. Ten minute slots, you know, and and that was just. They were like, well, we're used to having one show, and now we're not used to having forty shows, you know, with two person capacity. So, it does it does yeah. provide it does it does prove a challenge. And these days, ticketing systems are a lot better. Yes. and they're better at managing things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, although to be fair, we generally do better when you can
0: phone someone up.
1: yes but we I'm trying to think how we came up with that I I guess it was about the idea that it was it was multiple things I think it was it was somebody's uh, it's somebody's private space we wanted to perform in people's own homes Mm -hmm. rather than in uh, a a performance location so I mean one we didn't want to perform in a theatre with a set of a house I mean that again it's just this, mm. the 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 things around what you're asking the audience to suspend their disbelief over. It's like I kind of don't yeah. want to waste their energy, thinking, pretending that they're in a house yeah. when you could just be, be in, in a house. house. Um, so we'll just save up that suspension of disbelief for the fact that you know you're going to be in a situation. But it that's brings
0: a whole nother texture because I'm assuming those people know the host they probably know that yeah domestic space they know that house so that adds a whole nother layer yeah and there's so many different things with that piece that. yeah
1: that it does work really nicely so i mean the first the first thing about the site specific stuff yeah i mean that actually really came out of a kind of uh, disgust that we felt when we did um i'm i'm waiting i'm waiting uh in 2005 when we saw it was theoretically site specific but essentially we We constructed all these huge walls and got all this stuff. We had an empty shop Mm -hmm. unit. And at the end, you know, we had to skip this entire lot. And it was just, it was kind of really traumatic for us. I mean, this happens every day, doesn't it? But for me, it was too much. And also, I hate, I kind of, I I feel very uncomfortable with um, the weird falseness of theatrical sets. yes. I, I just find them really odd. Um, <laughs> this, this is my, I, yeah, I find a lot of stuff about theatre really odd, you know. Yeah. So I, I just thought, well, what's the point? It? So with, the, with, um, Black Tonic, with the hotel, it's said, well, you could build a set of a hotel. Or you could, or you could just go to go a to a hotel where you get where the, where it's really hotel-y because it is a hotel. You know, it's, it's <laughs> exactly to, to make it feel like a hotel. It just is one. Yeah. Um, and so I like that's what I like about the real world is you know yeah you don't have to spend a lot of energy trying to make it look like it. It, it just is it. Um, I mean, there are lots of other good things about it beyond that. But um, so the the house, you know, I wanted to do it in a house, but I wanted it to be somebody's actual house um, rather than. A Kind of shared one. We, we did some early things, some early shows of it, like for example, we did it in Edinburgh.
0: I'd say it's a few, few days. There's a couple of uh, East Escalator used to own ah, okay. a couple of houses, and I know they did some domestic based. Oh, yeah, I think I saw something. Yeah, Breathe did. up Yeah, Breathe. Oh, oh, I love Breathe. They were chatting on Facebook the other day about potentially getting back together. I was like, are <laughs> hey, you going to do oh. cause if you do, I'm quite excited. Yeah, They're all over the place, so bad. Don't they? <laughs> they do. Like, Okay. Right out in Wales, yeah. Uh, I and think France. some of them lived from France, yeah. Yep, so. <laughs> I don't know where the other one lives. Yeah, yeah. They, I'm sure they were part of East. Uh, it was, yeah, East, they, it was an East East family. to Edinburgh, and the, yeah, they owned uh, one of those lovely sort of tenement flats. Yes, we
1: we didn't have that, but uh, yeah. but our uh, <laughs> producer then, Rick Watts, was uh, up there producing probably an analog show, I'd imagine. Um, and they had a flat, so. We went and used the flat for about three days mm-hmm. and did the show there and invited like promoters. So they're, they're kind of the worst shows because <laughs> they're not in anyone's actual house and no one's the host and they don't really know each other that well or they know each other on a professional basis, which is yes. super awkward. Um, so yeah, they're very artificial. And it's yeah, well, it's
0: domestic, but it's not domestic, is it? It's kind of dressed. But you kind of have to do it because otherwise, how yeah, you going to get promoters to sit? So yeah, yeah exactly. so we did
1: that sometimes. Mm-hmm. But then when we actually do the show, like you say, it's what's really nice is that it's their own space. They're very comfortable in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, it's their own friends. It's their own community. And yeah. um, there's a lot of dynamics within that, you know, interesting dynamics. Some of them very friendly. Some of them sort of, you, you realise certain competitive things kind of come out as, <laughs> yes. you, as you do the work with them. <laughs> um, Nick, Nick Walker is a, a theatre maker from... Coventry, I remember him sort of talking about some of this work, like Light like Cave and specifically, probably around how it, it's kind of about bringing something into an existing group and how mm-hmm. that kind of works with that dynamic and that became yeah. an interesting way of exploring, yeah, a, a dynamic of a group or, mm-hmm. or um, developing a relationship. Those relationships in a way by using kind of a theatre intervention in it.
0: And actually, I think looking at all of your your work and specifically Avon Calling I think actually it's really interesting because it already feeds into a kind of existing social activity that is recognisable enough for people to kind of know the signals of potentially how to behave because yeah. most people have either been to an Summers party or an Avon party yeah, or just some kind of hideous like adult yeah, having to play a game having to play you know, but also having to potentially games, buy things as oh, well yeah. so <laughs> yeah everyone has been to one of those things maybe they're less prevalent now that people sell it all online i don't Mm. know but i think that those social constructs and i think that's one of the things the real world spaces brings doesn't it It brings because the moment you take people outside because that theatrical space is so coded we all know how to behave in there we know we go we sit in our seat the lights go down we shut up Mm. we pretend we're not there (laughs) for some bizarre reason but we do <laughs> yeah. do that we know to do that yeah, you know how to behave. Yeah. the moment you're in kind of a warehouse or the moment you're in those less open less kind of domesticized spaces I think it's really difficult and I think audiences sometimes get confused by that I've been to so many shows because I didn't really know yeah, you don't know you well, you don't know what you're supposed to be. what doing. I'm supposed to do because this is an empty it's still an empty space again but in spaces that already have a function that we already recognise or that have social conventions attached to them, I think actually they are a really useful dramaturgical route in, in some ways, because you're like, okay, well, I recognise this, or I recognise this social situation, so I kind of know how -hmm. how to behave and have some expectations, and then that gives you something that you can actually problematise. But in, in general ways, to really make that experience something... Extraordinary for that space, and I think that's something that really comes through. Actually, mm. looking at all of your history of the work and the kind of work that you've done, is that kind of something recognisable and comfortable enough to be accessible, but to be st- strange enough mm. to bring something to that space that's new. Yeah, and to that experience that's yeah. new.
1: Thanks for so that. Do
0: I see somebody? <laughs> <laughs> I spend yeah. a lot of my time thinking about this stuff. <laughs> it's quite nice, like I like listening to, to your other podcasts
1: because it's. I don't. I don't. You know, and I, I'm very much. Um, I'm just very practice based. I'm not. It's very interesting, sort of to hear academic sort of things talking about it and analysing why it is. But I just. Yeah I yeah. I think things just it's just the intuitive way that I work yeah, absolutely. and so I don't really but it's it's interesting to to, to analyze and then maybe learn how you might then replicate how you might it yeah exactly it or teach somebody else how to do it of course <laughs> that's yeah. always the
0: yeah. challenge and I'm going to be doing that um I've just written all my new modules cuz I'm new here so for next year I'm going to be delivering uh, modules all about gamification and immersion. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, now I've got to find ways. Because <laughs> <laughs> although there's quite, I mean, there's a, there's a few texts now, but there's actually not a great deal that documents practice, mm-hmm. not in a really meaningful way other than Punch Drunk. I think it's right. pretty much the only thing that's been significantly captured. And so for me, that's one of the things the podcast, I hope, gives is people some insight into the different ways that people are yeah. working. But um, I, so with my partner, because I, I, we have our own performance company together, and so I always have to wear that, sit between those two hats. So I have all that kind of intuitiveness and the making, but sometimes the academic brain gets in the way and sort of frustrates things, but he always manages. His role is to kind of push all that aside to be like, think about the journal article when you're done. <laughs> Just get on with the, <laughs> the, the making yeah. of the work here yeah. anyway, and not getting stuck in, in what this, like the significance of this is beyond yeah. kind of the making. That's yeah, maybe that's, that's the thing. maybe it's not that useful. I was going to ask you, um, I ask everyone I talk to you about this notion of documentation. It's kind of, I think because of the way you've been working a lot with uh, Arts Council and Lottery funding, I'm assuming you've had to kind of significant reach, impact, all of those things have to be kind of captured and evidenced and documented in some way. But beyond that kind of funding documentation, do you document the work in a meaningful way or do do you even think about that when you're making it? I mean, I think, like most people, working
1: on limited budgets and so on, It's uh, and also because, well, partly because of that, there isn't much infrastructure that surrounds the making of the work. Um, So, generally, when making the work, uh, I'm spending all my time making the work, not really thinking about documentation. But um, we do try and document, and we were, I think, partly we were... Well, we were lucky really in that we we made a relationship with a guy called Chris Keenan, um, who we met. Um, he was documenting for the Fierce Festival, and mm-hmm. Jane and I met him on a. Um, he was there to document um, Helen Paris, what they call Curious.
0: Oh, Curious, yeah.
1: Um, who were doing a show on an old bus that started at West Bromwich bus station,
0: ah, and. Okay. Um,
1: Jane and I tried, got there a bit early so we'd never been to West Bromwich and we thought, oh, well, we'll go and get, go and get drinks somewhere. No, no, we wouldn't. <laughs> this was uh, 10, 10 uh, 15 years ago. There, there literally was nowhere to go in West Bromwich. So we came back wow. to the bus bus station and um, hung around and that's when we met Chris Keenan, and he mm-hmm. was um, documenting it, filming and photos, I think. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, we, yeah, anyway, in the end he he ended up coming to document um home instinct for us mm-hmm. um, and and then he has actually, I think documents is pretty much everything ever since mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, so he's he works i mean he works a lot more on video now, he used to do photo and video, but he's now say he has some lovely photos pretty yeah, so. yeah I, I've been a bit
0: worse on photos recently since I think Chris has done video, but then I really mm-hmm. thought about photos. Uh, but it yeah. is hard, like you said, you know, when you're in the middle and even research-based things are the same because you're, you're, you're doing. And so it's, yeah. it's really difficult, especially doing practices research, you have to really discipline yourself and bu- almost build it in. But in some ways, I think traditional approaches to theatre have those mechanisms and that infrastructure built mm. in to the way the rehearsal process works mm. in some respects. And it, that rehearsal process also produces lots of documents and documentation but working in this way I'm like almost well, a dramaturg who is is there to sort of capture yeah I mean it's very hard to document everything. the process
1: because to be <laughs> honest the processes these days are so distributed like oh, of course. and to be honest it's just me g- yeah. emailing people <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah I mean that's that that's what my process looks <clears throat> like and I think that mm-hmm. started really with platonic when I just realized that I was the one who who knew all the things in the middle and just emailed all the people all of the things and got all the things in and sort of tried to bash them into a lump. And then, (laughs) you know, and then you get one day to rehearse or something on the actual location
0: and go. go, Well, exactly. So you're always kind of inside the work. So trying to capture that from outside the work. And in some ways, I'm always really torn, and I say this every time, this idea of in terms of a teaching resource and in terms of legacy... I worry that these kinds of practices will sort of yeah. be lost a little, beyond it's the experience. A, it's very difficult to,
1: I mean, it's very difficult to properly document. Actually, breathe. Uh, I remember them saying that that when they used to send out stuff to promoters, they used to specifically write on it, like you know, you can't. This isn't this isn't the true documentation of the event. You know, you yes. can't. I have a big pack
0: of their stuff actually that they. gave Yes, yeah, so they they had a very too. big thing
1: about that and. and um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I it's the same. I mean, we with our video documentation, we've always tried to to video it from the perspective of the audience member. Yeah. Um, but of course, you're not there, so you don't have no. the same feelings um, when you watch it. But we yeah, that's always been how we've done it. So with with Home Instinct, that's yeah. how we did it. We did it. You went round, and the camera was the audience was the camera, audience. And yeah.
0: That's how a lot of people I do, think that I think. was
1: for that that was probably more like a single shot that that you stayed as that audience member for Home music, but for Black tonic, which is online the black tonic one yeah uh the new from the new one, where we actually put in a bit more time to film <laughs> um yeah that that is kind of told from the perspective of being an audience member but yeah it's also it does it cuts in and out so it sort of shows the audience and mm-hmm. shows things from the perspective of the audience it's a little bit more sort of multi
0: yeah it, it and kind of the, needs resourcing on its own in some respects because it is actually a resource heavy thing to do is yeah. to it's to take the time out to sort of run it so that you can run the I mean when we, we also audience. learned very
1: quickly that you can't video well that you have to um, video actors as audience members yes, yes you can't yes, because video the initial um, actual audience yeah, in the uh, original... When we filmed the original Black Tonic, um, my husband and the stage manager were the audience. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were terrible. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, for starters, there was a, an implication that they were a couple. Yeah. Which, which was sort of... Yeah, I mean, you know, it was fine, but it was just... Uh, he was a guy. I mean, um, so, so I think like, that was just a bit... Odd, because they didn't really have any relationship of, of any Of sort. any kind, yeah. Um, and then the... You know, then you know, my husband is not an actor and has no experience of that. No. So no. it was like, Well, let's do it again. And let's do it again. Again, can you just look surprised this time? You know,
0: (laughs) and it's really difficult, isn't it? Because there's ethical implications of filming actual audience, but then also the fact that you all impinge on their actual experience, which is the very thing you don't want to do. You can't do that. So you just can't do it without that
1: being an agreement. uh, uh, You know, this you are doing it to be filmed. To be filmed. But I think it's you can't capture things properly. You have to. So yeah. So nowadays. We we um, would set up a specific time to make a film with actors to do that, as yeah. audience. Okay. Um, okay. Which allows us hopefully to create a video that better represents the experience of the audience. If yes. you like. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but it, yeah, it's always difficult, isn't it? And I, but yeah, I, I worry that things will be lost. Yeah. Which <laughs> which would be a massive shame. A bit like a big black hole. <laughs> in in the heritage but that's the problem. Of it. I mean that's the problem with theatre in general yeah, isn't it course. it's
1: ephemeral and and that's why well, any any film is mean, always exciting looks... as well. Yeah of course but that, that's the central <laughs> thing of,
0: especially about this kind of work is that actually the fact that it is individual that it is an experience and that it can't be captured in that way is part of what makes it so interesting and exciting but also causes a lot of problems I
1: mean <laughs> I'm I, I do have a bit of a I mean I have a bit of a bugbear about the kind of the, the way that that things are sort of the the stats that are collected around performance and the value placed on them yes obviously this doesn't really suit me very well uh so you know the the whole kind of you know the things i need to fill in for for arts council around essentially it's about how many people you reach you know so it's really it's about numbers of people and that is a metric but yeah. why that is more important than what was the quality of the person? Yes, absolutely. It's frustrating because, of course, for me, it's I'm useless on numbers. Yeah, um, <laughs> oh yeah, same here. But <laughs> I, I feel like the things that we make um, have more of an impact, you know, than, than walking past something that you see on the street or something yeah. for like one second. So it's yeah, I, I, I would love to see ways to try and uh, get data on. Somehow, on, on what's the difference of, what's the difference in impact of doing this kind of experience, you know, where you spend an hour and a half, do, actually physically doing, doing, something, yeah. doing it, or have someone come to your house and then your house never quite being the same again, or yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Um, What's what's the the impact then and on the, long term basis of, mm-hmm. of this kind of work com- in comparison with. And those metrics that they yeah, collect
0: so. and that the audience agency and those kind of things collect are not valuable anyway moving forward in terms of if you're looking back as a historian or as an anthropologist, mm. they're not very useful. Those kind of just how many people came and what age they were. So yeah. that's not useful. Even in terms of traditional theatre, that's not helpful. You know, Samuel of Peep's diaries are probably yeah. one of the most insightful things and that's because they're about experience. experience. Yeah. And so knowing how many people but, I mean, came it's just about and where fun. they I came from. I mean, it's from. just about
1: justifying government funding, isn't it? Exactly. So we have to justify to them. They, people have to justify it to, to, justify it to yes. the government. Yeah.
0: Reach, significance and impact. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> all, and it's the same in research. Those three things are just have become an absolute kind of obsession of having to prove value. Yeah, but I just
1: don't <laughs> feel that... Yeah, I don't know. I, I would just argue that the, there isn't so much value in in it, but uh, I don't have any proof, (laughs) except for anecdotal feedback you know, from people. And that
0: actually I'm trying to write about it at the moment, is trying to give that more validity in terms of being a a useful source and being a valuable source, Mm. especially with the rise of experiential work. I think we're going to have to start to recognise Twitter feeds and people's blogs and vlogs and (laughs) all of those things actually are are way more valuable than collecting how many people showed up and what their demographical background might be, <laughs> actually, whereas someone who, who took the time and was, was engaged enough to take the time to make a video or to write a blog about their experience mm-hmm. it seems much more valuable to me. So I'm working on that at the moment, trying to make those be considered as, as valuable academic resources, as well as being kind of insight into performance and being useful culturally. <laughs> So you're about to take a break, actually, aren't yeah. you? Uh, in the middle of doing your project. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, not the best timing. Yeah, I'm. I'm There's having, no such thing uh, as good second, timing. A second child. Yeah. So, uh, kind of uh, announced that news around the same time that I found out that we'd uh, got got a, a substantial arts council grant to make uh, a moment of madness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which has been in development for a while. But yeah.
0: And I was lucky enough to come and do some playtesting. And I'm hoping to come and do some more as well. And so what next year, yeah i was gonna say what's the best way for people to keep in touch or to find out what you're doing and to sort of follow what you're up to really
1: um so well the amendment of madness is going to open in in birmingham in at the start of may mm-hmm. in 2019 so that'll be Great. when that opens uh yeah after i've had uncertainty leave and mm-hmm. then gone into the final production phase for it um so the best way the most, the most I generally communicate with people is on Twitter, okay. um, which is at Other Way Works. Uh, That's kind of uh, probably where I'm most active, but we have a mailing list... Um, that you can join via the website, the website yeah. um, there should be a link, I think, on the About page.
0: Yes, I think actually when you come into the website, it'll pop up, yeah. If
1: you scroll down a page sufficiently, then a pop up will come, <laughs> um, and I will eventually add that to the mailing list. <laughs> um, yeah. So you can join the mailing list on there, and that's a, an email mailing list, and it, generally if there's any dates or things to do or anything, that then, it then up there will be there. an email, but... Um, it's not like super duper regular um, <laughs> yeah and then the website which is www.theotherwayworks.co.uk um, those are probably the best
0: okay ways to stay brilliant touched. so if you want to know uh, what is going on and want to make sure that you are up to date with things and can access tickets and all that sort of thing get on the website get on twitter and join the mailing list and then you definitely won't miss out on anything yes. that's the best way Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come and chat chat with me. It's been absolutely great. And there's still loads of things I wanted to ask you about, but um, hopefully we can meet another time. It's actually nice for you to be based in Birmingham. There's very little that happens really outside of of (laughs) London. So it's really exciting that we have all this great work going on here. So thank you very much. Thank Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that episode. It would be great to hear from you folk listening out there all across the globe. So do get in touch if you just want to say hey or if you want to share your thoughts in a more comprehensive way. You can tweet me, which is at tape Podcast or email me directly theatre at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook, we have a page, or you can message me directly. So just a little update on news. VEX, which is my performance company's latest show, The Story of You and I, is going to be part of Bread in the Bones International Performance Festival, which is called Dreams Before Dawn. And that's going to be in Paris uh, between the 2nd of July and the 8th of July. I don't know exactly which days we're going to be presenting the work on yet, but again, I'll update you next month as things progress with that. So until next month, uh, do get in touch. If not, then you'll hear my voice again then.